Welcome to Coffee with Cornelius. Today we are traveling to Macosta, Michigan, a small unassuming town in the great state of Michigan, uh, which was home for many years to one of the greatest thinkers in American conservative history. Some would say the greatest thinker. Uh, and that was Russell Kirk. Today I'm here with Dr. Jeffrey Nelson, co-founder and vice chairman of the Kirk Center, a conservative institute in Michigan devoted to preserving the legacy of the great thinker, Russell Kirk. One of Russell Kirk's biggest influences was the statesman and philosopher Edmund Burke, who claimed that society is a covenant between the dead, the living, and the unborn. Part of what it means to be a conservative involves embracing a voluntary community that honors the dead's achievements while preserving what is good for future generations. Conservatism means safeguarding religion, the environment, and legal institutions from those who would shatter them irresponsibly. This is the dire opposite of what is perceived as conservatism today, which is associated with unrelenting free markets, foreign policy jingoism, and cultural philistinism. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Nelson about Russell Kirk, the Kirk Center, and what conservatism really means as Burke, Kirk, and Roger Scruton understood it. Dr. Nelson, thank you for joining us. It's a real honor for me. Cornelius, it's wonderful to be uh, with you. Uh, enjoy a little coffee together and talk about Russell Kirk. Absolutely. So my first question is, when we survey American conservatism today, we look at the Republican Party, for example, or we look at the various conservative institutes or so-called conservative institutes, I should say, like the American Enterprise Institute, or any myriad of institutes, you know, I don't want to pick particular examples per se, but when we look at the state of American conservatism today, it is difficult to detect any conservatives in the mold of Russell Kirk or Ed Edmund Burke or Roger Scruton, that kind of uh, feeling that conservatism is not an ideology, but more of a state of mind, a way of approaching the world. Is that a fair assessment of conservatism in, a, in the United States today? I think it's fair to a point, uh, Cornelius. Um, certainly, uh, when you survey um, American conservatism, and you, most people do so with a political lens, and when you do it with a political lens, uh, you tend to see politicized uh, outcomes, uh, figures that uh, politicize, um, you know, traditional values and a lot of the ideals that you uh, um, laid out in your wonderful introduction. And so it can be the conservatives in the mold of, well, you mentioned Roger Scruton, and then before him, his friend Russell Kirk, and before him, both of their great mentors, uh, Edmund Burke, but they do exist. And uh, there's always been a threat. It's been a minority position, perhaps, but I don't think it's been an uninfluential one. I think it's one that en endures, and we can talk about that as we go forward, uh, from the very um, origins of, of, of American um, constitutional life, colonial life, and moving forward, and then and the great revival of American conservatism after the, the Second World War, the figure of Burke and Kirk have stood pretty tall. Today, are there influences where, well, even in the institutions that tend to be a little more on the political side, as you mentioned, you might find a figure like Yuval Levin, uh, who's a public intellectual. We may not always agree with some policy prescriptions, but fashions themselves rather seriously as a, a, a student of Edmund Burke, wrote a wonderful book called The Great Debate, which contrasts uh, Burke with uh, Thomas Paine. And I think it's very, very relevant given the way that the world is being turned upside down by a lot of modern Paineites. Mm -hmm. And Yuval Levin uh, sticks up for Burke uh, quite admirably, as, as a matter of fact. And I think he's someone to, 
you might look at. Um, I would say over at the new Criterion and Encounter Books, which is very influential in American conservatism. It's out of New York. The, there's a, the uh, editor there and the Graham and is a figure as uh, a person called Roger Kimball. I think Roger in the last couple of years has come very strongly, uh, tacked very strongly toward a Kirkian port. Hmm. He had a big conference in New York with some major figures to discuss the significance of Russell Kirk last year. Uh, and uh, it might have been the year before, but anyway, within the last 18 months, he published that symposium in the, his influential magazine, the New Criterion. These are all serious people, uh, you know, that not not uh, political uh, types. Uh, and um, and I think Roger himself named a major award that they give every year after after um, uh, Edmund Burke. And in fact, has been tweeting a lot of great Burke quotes and insights were recently about in in the face of a lot of the uh, defacing of statues and the attack on history and. Well, I think this whole question of uh, the uh, or the ideological revolution, which Burke pinned in the French Revolution and its origins, this possibility of a complete social overhaul, very much preoccupied Russell Kirk. So very relevant. The American Conservative Magazine, uh, as well, often has uh, uh, articles and praise of of Burke, mm-hmm. applying Burke, uh, uh, modern age, which is uh, a, a quarterly founded by Russell Kirk and edited by Daniel McCarthy. He founded Russell Kirk founded it in 1957 as a great source of long, serious essays, many of which engage in Edmund Burke. In fact, in the current issue just now coming out, there's a long issue, sorry, a long essay on Edmund Burke and his and his relevance by the editor of the Studies in Burke in his time, Ian Crow, a fellow at the Kirk Center. Um, a new book you might want to look at, I think you might find interesting, just came mm-hmm. out uh, by Cambridge. Uh, called Commerce and Manners in Edmund Burke's Political Economy. It's not a lot of That's work done in, on Burke's on economics, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very much taxed alongside with Edmund Burke. I mean, I'm sorry, with Adam Smith. But Burke has a very definite view of economics, and it's not uh, libertarian, as you might imagine. No. <laughs> um, but it's but it's but it's but it's uh, not post-liberal either. So it's uh, it's a very fascinating book, and I think again very relevant. So uh, that's just a long way of saying. Um, there's a lot of percolating out there on the Burke Kirk front. Pepperdine University has a new uh, new project you might look at, a great website and a lot going on, webinars and essays. It's called The American Project. Uh, one of the lead scholars is somebody called Bruce Fronin, who's a fellow at the Kirk Center and has written a number of books on Burke and Kirk. And it's a really intriguing prospect of trying to talking about the conservatism of connection. And I think this conservatism of connection that Pepperdine and some other Burkean, Kirkian intellectuals are discussing these days is is really of moment. And uh, one of the one of the most important things I think we can really try to talk about uh, is is uh, is time marches forward. So I so yes, there, we can look at the dire state of things, but I think Kirk was always hopeful. He would always I don't know how many of you've listened to his lectures, but one of his <laughs> his pattern seems to be about. 80% he'd go through decadence, 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 all the things happening. And then near the end, he just didn't leave you hanging, right? He was a man, he was yeah. a Christian. And he said at the end of the, every lecture, he said, now, now it's time to let a little, a little cheerfulness break through. Yeah. And so if you want to let a little cheerfulness break through, there are things to, to point out there to your audience that if they're interested in Kirk Burke, there's some, um, there's some, it's a good, it's actually a, a good time to do so. Yeah. Augustine city of God towards the end of, uh, of all of this decadence. So, um, I, I just like to ask, you know, some people might be asking, would you say that there are any Burkean conservatisms 
in U.S. policymaking or political circles? So anyone close to, let's say, the president or in Congress or people who are actually in the Chamber of Commerce or the National Park Service, you know, any, anywhere really who are <laughs> conservatives in a Burkean mold? Well, I know there's uh, one of the top figures at the American Enterprise Institute who you mentioned, uh, maybe not in a fair, uh, uh, a totally fair light, which I, uh, uh, a positive light, which I, which I agree with. I think I, we're on the same page in certain principles. But a guy named Ryan Streeter is doing domestic policy there, and he's trying to do. He's a student of Kirk's, very thoughtful one, and uh, he's got has some influence in domestic policy, and he's again very communitarian, uh, not a radical individualist, and not you know sort of interested in these new new. Um, movements toward a coerced and more authoritarian forms of communitarian. So I, I think uh, Ryan might be somebody to look at. Uh, Vice President Benson is a deep reader of Kirk. He, he said he hasn't really? gone on a, a vacation. In, he said he hasn't gone on a vacation in 22 years without taking a Russell Kirk book. With Vice him. President Google, Mike Pence. That's amazing. Google, actually, yeah. Google, Google Russell Kirk and Mike Pence, and you'll yeah. see. Uh, uh, actually, he had me and Annette Kirk, uh, the widow of uh, the wife and widow of Russell Kirk. Uh, speak to his Republican Senate committee when he was um, leading the, leading this uh, a committee of uh, kind of Republican policy types who were connect, connecting ideas of policy. And we talked about the conservative mind to his committee and, and Russell Kirk himself uh, appeared on a show like this, Mark Pence at a radio show like you and, uh, and Kirk before he died actually appeared on it. So Pence has been a big fan. Uh, there are others in the Senate. You can maybe say a few, um, Right now, Josh Hawley is getting a lot of play uh, from Missouri, and uh, he certainly has read a lot. I find him that he's more of a West Coast Strauss and Claremont type, if you, if you want to get really into the weeds of uh, different schools of American conservative thought. Very strong natural rights thinker, a Lockean kind of figure. But he's read pretty deeply. He's a very smart guy, and uh, I think he's probably somebody on the rise that uh, you can look at. Um, but And there are a number of figures. Um, alumni of the Kirk Center fellowships programs who are working in on the Hill and different committees or, um, you know, in different departments. I mean, we tend, our people tend not to be overly political types for the obvious reason yeah. that we've talked about. They sort of uh, have a, uh, they askew politicization and they tend to attack more in a cultural front. So, um, so we do better. So Kirkians are found more in the ac- ac- academia, to some mm. extent journalism, not so much politics, which, uh, Although Burke was in the news for bad reasons this past week, couple of weeks ago, when uh, Chief Justice uh, Roberts uh, invoked him in a an abortion case that came out of uh, Louisiana that went the wrong way, and he basically misquoted Burke, which caused a flurry of people to uh, have to correct him and go back to their Burke and try and get it right. So you know, even when the negative things happen, so there can be some positive results. Yeah. Um... You know, I'd like to phrase this question carefully, because ultimately what you said when you said that Burkean conservatives tend not to be very political, I think it's true. I don't think that Burke was espousing a, an ideology, and I don't really think Russell Kirk was espousing an ideology either. I think it's, it's, a, it's a philosophy, it's a way of, of thinking about the world. Uh, and to some extent, everybody in that sense is a Burkean conservatism, because we all want to conserve what is good in our community or in our family or in our society. Uh, that being said, you know, th- there is a form of person who is more so on board with Edmund Burke than others. Uh, and in the United States, as we've already discussed, it seems to be relatively rare to find that kind of person. 
Why do you think that is? Why aren't there more Burkean conservatives in the United States? Is it something about America or what is it exactly? Oh, that's a, big, that's a really uh, thoughtful question and probably um, uh, can be a subject for a, maybe more than coffee to sit over sure. here. Yeah. <laughs> something stronger to yeah. get through, wade, wade through all of that. But um yeah. But I think I think in one sense you answered one way that, that there probably are more Burkean conservatives than you want to and imagine. That Burke gets mediated in different ways through different thinkers and different magazines and different movements and those baseline kind of uh, decent drapery of life kind of questions as he ta- is uh, the unbought grace of life is, that Kirk I mean Burke invokes in the reflections that you just articulated so well. Um, I think there are a lot of people that are, ba- are are very committed to that in that sense they're sort of un knowing uh Burkean conservatives i think anytime you have a, a a sort of protean thinker uh like burke um you know there's only there's relatively few people that sort of have access to be able to 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 that thinker that have the maybe the education the time the commitment the interest to sort of re- really go get way deep into their works and and form themselves they tend to trust and lean on mediators Mm-hmm. Uh, other people to sort of mediate those ideas. So I think that, you know, when you get into the rarefied of the great thinkers, there are always fewer people that really read and engage them than we would like, or that we think, you know, should be merited, but that's just human nature and people are busy and they're, but so that's why organizations like the Kirk Center or magazines like Modern Age or University Bookmen or other places are so important because they tend to mediate to the thinking people who might not otherwise have time to really think that way or that deeply you know, kind of first principles and 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 articulate what they feel inside, but make it come alive and real to them, uh, in a practical daily day in day out way. Now, then to your other part of your question, so that's part two. Your question part three is: Is there something about America? Well, America is probably fundamentally more liberal a regime, although um, given that it's founding in the 18th century and its time and and what it was, uh, its principles. Um, but it was a in Kirk and Burke, as Burke taught us in his great speeches about America. Burke thought very much about America and its relation to Britain, and uh, and and he believed that that the American Revolution was more like the uh, revolution of um, of the previous century, the Glorious Revolution, of, uh, and that uh, it was in that sense a conservative revolution. It wasn't a revolution to upturn the order. It was a preservative uh, act uh, to maintain the colonies' understandings of their rights as Englishmen. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like the French Revolution. It wasn't like modern, many of the modern things going on today. It wasn't an ideological revolution, as he would later identify the French Revolution to be. It was a conservative, deeply conservative revolution. And in that sense, Americans have always been more conservative than they let on. I think that's one yeah. of the attractions of Russell Kirk, because Americans never have, it was taught in their schools right up to the, you know, the mid fifties, just after the war that America, that the only tradition in America was liberal, that a conservative, there didn't, uh, that the only, there were the only concert to the extent that there was a conservative tradition. It was just irritable mental gestures of a few people, of course, a line that Lionel Trilling, the liberal literary critic used against conservatives. They're just a bunch of <laughs> irritable mental gestures. Few people yeah. have out there not taken, not to be taken seriously. Well, in 1953, Russell Kirk wrote the conservative mind, um, and that changed everything because that showed conservatives in particular, but it also destabilized liberals, that there was a deep and respectable conservative uh, intellectual tradition in America. And then it was one that one, one that conservatives, it was living, one that could still be drawn upon. 
and uh, and could you know shape the future. It wasn't just a thing of the past. And that's what happened before that happened. Before Kirk published that book, conservatives like William F. Buckley, who were coming alive in the late 40s, early 50s, didn't know what to call this movement that was beginning to emerge and that was trying to defend America against the ravages of the New Deal on the one hand and Soviet um, communism on the other hand, atheistic communism on the other hand. Mm -hmm. They were calling themselves individualists. But individualists as opposed to collectivists. So they thought, oh, the Russians are collectivists, so we're we're individualists. Well, Kirk understood that the you know the fundamental flaw in that you used the word community in your introduction, and he understood that there was much more going on here than just a bunch of uh, isolated individuals, and that was a very uh, starkly libertarian uh, concept. So he challenged that in his way with the conservative mind, and and after that, everybody called themselves conservatives. Nobody called themselves. Uh, individualists, including Buckley. So it was a huge uh, shift in American intellectual and ultimately, you know, with the election, what, uh, you know, 40 some years later of, Russell, of Ronald Reagan, it was, a, it was a political sea change as well. That's very true. Um, I'd just like to ask, you work at the Kirk Center and you've already kind of alluded to this in what you've just said, but can you give us a brief summary of what Russell Kirk's main ideas were? Wow, he had a lot of them. He was, you know, he mm. was tapped into the Western West, the great tradition of the West, right, and the Judeo-Christian understanding of the nature and destiny of man. So you can you can do a lot with that material. That's true. <laughs> I would yeah. say to you, I, I would say your uh, you you your your opening um, statement uh, introduction. You mentioned that uh, he 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 argued that conservatism was not an ideology. It was, in fact, a negation of an ideology. Mm-hmm. It was the opposite of that. It was it, it was a, 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 a an orientation, a disposition, and the ideologies led themselves to reductionisms of the of the human person and ideas, and the reductionisms led to the ideological revolution, the complete social, the, you know, uh, uh, overhaul that the ideologues propose in order to exact their utopian. Design. So Russell Kirk taught against, cut against the utopian temptations of of the ideologues uh, in teaching that conservatism was a negation of that, which is still a, a, today a difficult uh, concept for some people to uh, grasp, even people who admire him, because we're yeah. so accustomed to just referring to our ideas as or someone's set of ideas as an ideology. I think also, you know, his anchoring conservatism and the idea of the transcendent is, uh, was very important and influential. It wasn't mere economics, it wasn't materialism, but that there was a tr- tr- deep transcendent uh, orientation of conservatism. He spoke about the immoral imagination, which uh, was he, a phrase he got from Burke, uh, like so many other things. Um, but this idea, of course, that uh, imagination and not mere reason there were limits to reason he taught and the imagination was very very powerful and it had to be ordered in the right way because it could be a disordered imagination like rousseau's he said as well as a a moral imagination like burke and so he taught us to think about what that might mean and look like and politically he talked about the politics of prudence uh that prudential politics was very important that politics is the art of the possible again it's not ideological it's not utopian there are limits and there's some horse trading in actual politics and we needed to develop this idea of 
political prudence that Aristotle taught so uh, mm-hmm. primarily so well. And then it wasn't a weakness. It wasn't being moderate. It was actually a very strength. It was a strength. And uh, he was very good on that. He talked a lot about culture. Uh, the Kirk Center is a center for cultural renewal. He talked about uh, how modern, how our culture comes from the cult, uh, uh, which is the source of our religion, our civilizational inheritance, comes from the very origins of who we are as a, a people oriented to God and how that manifests itself and plays itself out over time as we build communities and families. Um, very importantly, I think, uh, he was... Not he was a person who talked a lot about the importance of both permanence and change. A lot of people consider conservatives to be just about conserving their you know stasis about whatever it is they happen to have at the moment. But Kirk really talked about the dynamic that that Burke uh, really uh, led him and it gave him an insight into that change is the means of our conservation. There really is a yeah. dynamic quality between permanence and change and there's a it's the first chapter of his book on uh, prospects of conservatism it's so called permanence and change and i really recommend that because that gets so really the heart of one of the heart of his uh, uh of, of the tension and the di- dynamism in his thought really and you mentioned Macosta. i think centrality of place is really important to him we are alienated people uh we're cosmopolitan people but he was rooted in his little village of 400 people in the middle of Michigan. And he really emphasized the importance of place. And I think finally order, he talked, you know, we talk about liberty. He talked about liberty. Burke talked about liberty, but they both prefaced it by the word order, that order, he said, was the first need of all, that without order, liberty was licensed and would degenerate into chaos. And we see that today, don't we? Absolutely. Um, and today we see for example, you know, this is something that maybe you can help me work through because we have, of course, a pandemic. And I've wondered how a conservative is supposed to respond to this in the Burkean mold or in the, uh, I guess, Kirkian mold, if you like. Uh, I'm curious what Russell Kirk would say if he were alive today. We have COVID-19 and there have been myriad policy responses to it. There have been lockdowns, mandatory masks, travel restrictions, and so on. Uh, And, you know, Kirk talks about the politics of prudence, and a lot of these uh, responses seem to me to be uh, prudent, quite frankly. Uh, On the other hand, I think a lot of communities, a lot of voluntary communities, view the imposition of these measures by a central government as acting against their own set of social mores or their own traditions. so if Kirk were alive today to share his wisdom before with us, and I'm asking you to speculate because obviously uh, we, can't, uh, we can't just recall his spirit here, but how do you today think he would respond to the situation we're in in this pandemic? Well, yeah, I'd have you, your, your, your caveat is warned that it's always hard to take people who have uh, not been with us for some time and mm-hmm. know exactly how, what they would see and how they would react to what they see. But I think you lay the fundamental principles. There is a politics of prudence and prudential. There is a question of order, I think, the need for order, public health uh, being a, you know, a big marker in that degree. I think that he would be probably, as you said, some, he had a, you know, sort of a, a, a an old, what we would call an anti-federalist uh, yeah. dimension to his personality in America. He was, uh, you know, for states and states' rights and pushing down uh, decisions of this, you know, of, of magnitude to the lowest possible, um, you know, authorities. And I think he'd feel more comfortable with states and communities um, legislating these things than having the federal government sort of roll in with, uh, you know, sort of chaotic implementations of, 
and and um, and uneven uh, ones that uh, don't necessarily apply to a given community, but may make sense in the abstract. I think you'd be cautious about that. So I think you take a sort of 50-50 sort of the uh, in other words uh, the imposition from on high I think you would have trouble with generally speaking unless there was some fundamental uh, unless we got to the point where public order across the board was at was was in peril I think he then he might say well that that's that would be a legitimate point in which the, sure. which the national state could step in to because uh, that, that would that would um, order would proceed but but I think he would give people some more liberties than have been given uh, to date, at least in the United States. But you know, if 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 there were state and local, I think you'd respect them more with the, the state-based or local-based. But these, you know, these health, pre, you know, concerns and a lot of these other policies there, it does uh, to just go back to the word you used at the beginning. Uh, you know, there's a lot of prudence. Prudence, you know, really has to be carefully careful deliberation of saying what is the what is the best course forward? And I don't think we've been we've we've uh, been well served in America and the United States mm-hmm. by our political leadership, uh, the current um, the current uh, administration, uh, and uh, some of the state governments such as Sower File and and some of the news organizations that just uh, push these um, some of these uh, policies unthinkingly without uh, calling anyone to an account. I don't I, I don't think conservatives have been well served by the Republicans or by their administration to say nothing about the democrats but that's another that's a whole other question yeah i've so heard in michigan it's been a, you've it's been had a sad, been a sad situation yeah. i've heard in michigan you've had a very uh, strange set of restrictions that uh, to me anyway they don't seem to make any sense on the surface level uh, if you'd like to well, comment yeah on and that. i think that would be a that would be an issue he would have i think you yeah. raised a good point i mean the, the ar- arbitrariness of it burke hated arbitrary Power, arbitrary decision, and and Kirk did too. He just hate the whiff of this, you know, the whiff of it set him off. So I think he would have a very a lot big problem with the arbitrariness of 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 this and arbitrary power because it's such a sensitive it's about people's mm-hmm. lives, yeah. and about and about the lives of the of, of, of you know the very livelihood, not just their li- their lives, but the livelihoods of them, their families, their communities, their economic livelihood, their very uh, their health. Uh, so these are serious issues, and to be to have sort of this kind of arbitrary uh, leadership uh, at all levels at this point in time, maybe running up to election, everything is so politicized. It would be a perfect. It would be. It'd be awful. I think he'd be. He, he would. He would. Uh, his pen would be unsparing for uh, the administration, the conservatives, as well as uh, for the other side, for sure. So no, nobody would escape his his pen in this situation. I'd like to turn to the center which you founded. And that's the Kirk Center, which aims to preserve the legacy of Russell Kirk. How does the center do that? What does it do to preserve Kirk's legacies? What are your programs and how do you uh, operate to make sure that Americans know about Russell Kirk generally and his ideas? Uh, Well, thanks. Yeah, well, first, to go back to one of the principles I mentioned, the centrality of place. The Kirk Center is a historic place. It's the place where Russell Kirk lived, his, his, his home, his, his uh, 12,000 plus books library wow. down the street, That's many amazing. houses around that are, yeah, it's, it's a community. It's a, it's a, it's just, so it's a residential uh, research and study center. It's a community of uh, people, uh, writers, thinkers, students, many students come for a period of time to reside in one of the houses to research in the build it, to write in the, in the library, to have lively dinners and discussions in the main, in the main house. Um, we have seminars and conferences 
there as well quite quite frequently so it we really the court the the center as a place a place to come where russell kirk research wrote is part of the a huge part of the experience and you know we have as we have a, something called the wilbur wilbur fellowship program for students and faculty students can come to study uh, for a paper for a short period of time and faculty might like to come for a sabbatical or, or a longer stay. Uh, I mentioned our uh, Piety Hill, we call them seminars, or Piety Hill was the name of Russell Kirk's uh, home. It was the top of a little hill and it was dry in the, 19, in the early days, meaning there was no alcohol at the top of the hill. So the, the rowdy villagers at the, at the bottom of the hill used to make fun of it and called it Piety Hill. Well, Russell Kirk got a big kick out of that. And uh, he adopted it out of, for fun on that way, but it also, of course, invokes pietas and the whole Roman virtue of piety. So, uh, so it had a double kind of meaning. So Piety Hill seminars, are, we bring thinkers like Roger Scruton there as a Piety Hill mm-hmm. uh, seminar speaker. And uh, so, you know, people come from around for those. We have a Kirk on Campus program now, which brings lectures and conferences and Kirk-related campuses in Michigan and across the country. Um, we have a publications uh, effort uh, anchored by the University of Bookman, which is an online uh, uh, book, conservative book review quarterly. And if you really like books and conservative ideas, you got to check out the University of Bookman. There's stuff posted there all the time, books, books, books. So uh, that's, uh, that's great. And we publish study in Burke at his time and host the um, Edmund Burke Society of America. Uh, we also have a lawyer's uh, society called the uh, oh. Society for Law and Culture for lawyers and judges. They, they need help. You know, they got to come and yeah. get formed so, or reformed. And, uh, but they're a great group and uh, they, they're, uh, they, they come as well. So we just uh, promote Russell Kirk at every turn and we can. We, uh, we facilitate uh, scholars away who are researching. We are very involved in translations of Russell Kirk's work around the world. And that is just a booming industry. They're being published everywhere. Korea and China, Japan, Russia. There has just been uh, in all the European countries, South America. And it's been great. I mean, the, the international appeal of Russell Kirk right now. And as you said, his brand of conservatism really stands out in this day and age um, where people are sort of more, more used to the free market, liberal, you know, neoliberalism uh, variety of, or, or maybe the old style neoconservatism, although I don't think that's very um, lively these days. For, no. Uh, and, he, and he would have been happy about that with <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah. both of us. Uh, yeah. So uh, so Kirk, so the neocons criticized Kirk, but Kirk lives on and the neocons are a bit of in a dustbin there. So um, so I think that's, yeah, it's been really great. And uh, the interest is booming and and including, you know, you you found him as well. So that's a great sign. Yeah, I'm uh, really glad because I think you guys do fantastic work and I'm very honored to to have spoken to you and to f- have promoted you. Uh, and if anybody wants to find you guys online and find your resources, where can they find you? You're on Twitter. I know you have a website. Can you just tell yeah, us about Yeah, Twitter, those? Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, KirkCenter.org is the best place to go. You know, If you're on Twitter, you can, you'll find the Kirk Center, as Kirk Center and at Kirk Center. And, um, and um, you know, the usual socials. But uh, the hub, the web hub is there. We're adding classic Kirk essays all the time. My wife, Cecilia, is, uh, does a great job at that. She's, uh, she's sort of, uh, she's carrying on the legacy and um, keeping, uh, keeping the uh, uh, archives uh, fresh and getting all uh, Russell Kirk's works out as essays and also our newsletter, The Permanent Things, which you can sign up for on our website for free. And get our web, our, our color, her her four color um, um, newsletter, which is filled with all kinds of 
cool Kirk news and things going on. So yeah, there's lots to see on the website these days and some good videos too. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelson, for joining me on Coffee with Cornelius. I just have to say one more thing to my viewers and listeners. If you enjoyed this program, please make sure you like and hit the subscribe button if you want to see more. Uh, thank you so much. As I mentioned, it's been an honor. Cornelius, thank you so much and um, best regards to our friends up north.